0: All right, back to school. Parents, you guys ready? Are you ready for the kids? Get on back. I hear some woos. Okay. <laughs> some parents are, no, it's kind of bittersweet, right? Right? Because it's kind of like a sad thing. They're growing up. Also, On the other hand, they're out of the house. So, you know, it's it, it, it's, good. it's good and bad. It's good and bad. But we, we pray for our children. They're going to have a good time. Um, all right. Enough about children. Let's talk about adultery. Um, <laughs> praise God. We've... Uh, <laughs> We've spent the summer exploring the Ten Commandments, right? You, you're the brave ones. You came today. You came on number seven. Man, hats off to you. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments because 3,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago, Moses came down the mountain from these, with these tablets that the Lord had not just written another set of rules. These weren't just another set of rules that we have to keep. This was God teaching uh, a nation of former slaves how to be human beings again. And they were his instructions, how to be human beings again. They're a picture of, to all of us of how to live as free people. Not people of under bondage, but people who are free. And so these, these ten laws are in the scriptures, they were known as the ten words. They were, they're, they're proof, actually, of how much God loves us how much God loves his people and how much he cares about them. And he wants to show us how to demonstrate that love. He's showing us how to demonstrate the love back to him and back and to each other, how to show love. Um, You know Uh, 1,500 years later, Jesus comes on the scene and he says, actually, we can condense all of these words down to two. There's two directives. It's about loving God with all your heart all your soul all your mind, your strength, and it's about loving your neighbor, right? But 1,500 years earlier, we got to see this fleshed out. What does that look like? And so that's what we're doing here. So this morning, we've made it all the way to number seven. Here we are. We're going to get into it. It's going to be good. Uh, Exodus 20, We're in Exodus 20, if you want to follow along. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. All right. And the original Hebrew is two words, no adultery. They were, it's very short and sweet. Just don't do it. Just no adultery, right. Now, the danger for us today is maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I'm not committing adultery. I don't have any plans to commit adultery, so cool, I get a week off right? i can just to sit here and look at these other poor suckers listen to this sermon. But hopefully, if you've been coming to this, you know there's probably more than meets the eye here. As we've been learning, anytime you see a rule in the scriptures, and this is no different, when you see a rule in the scriptures, that rule is always rooted in a principle that is deeper and, and bigger than just how to be more moral, okay? See, Jesus didn't come and and suffer and anguish and die on the cross and then rise from the dead so that we could be more moral. That's not the goal. God's commands are always rooted in who God is and what God is like. Who God is and what God is like. His commands are always rooted in this, right? So his desire is not just to make us more moral. It's to transform us into the image of Jesus. That's his desire. That's what he's after, right? Right? God has an agenda. It's to transform you into the image of Jesus. And it takes a long time, right? And he knows it. And so that's what he's working on me. He's what he's doing on you. He's transforming us into the image of his son. See, the biggest mistake you and I could make in a series like this, when we come to a series like this, is um, we hear the Ten Commandments. Oh, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. You know, we treat it kind of like Sunday school. Uh, we, could, we just think the purpose of this series, we could just think is, is teaching you to memorize the Ten Commandments, or, or doing some kind of a college survey of the Ten Commandments. And that would be missing the point. That would be missing the point. What we're really learning here is what God is like. What is God like? And how do we be more like Jesus? And how do we have a relationship with him? See, that's our goal here. What God is like. How could we be more like Christ and how do we have a relationship with Him? See, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. So we're learning what God is like. How do we have a relationship with Him? And I'll give you a little spoiler alert, just in case you come here very long, that's actually the purpose behind everything we preach here. Whether we're talking about the Ten Commandments, or we're doing a series on Jonah, or the book of Philippians, or Uh, healing, or how to use your faith, whatever we're doing here, what we're really coming back here, what we're coming back to is who Jesus is. What is he like? How do we be more like him? How do we have a relationship with him? That's that's what we're always talking about, right? The Ten Commandments is really just another template to get to discover who God is like, okay? So, I want to look for a few minutes today because of that, I want to look at one of the core characteristics of God. And then we're going to come back to adultery. I know that's what you came for. So we'll come back to adultery. <laughs> and we'll also ask, why does this command, this command about adultery, why does this, this command having to do with sex and marriage, why does that make it into the top ten? Let me think about it. The Ten Commandments, that's some pretty valuable real estate, right? You get ten things. Just ten things, Right? And, and he took up one of them with adultery. If you ask people out in the world today, what are the greatest problems facing humanity? I bet a, most of them probably will not tell you adultery, right? We come up with all kinds of other ills that is, is harming humanity. But God thinks it's worth being in the top ten. So we'll talk, we'll talk about that. So first of all, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy 6. In Deuteronomy 6, there is, uh, it's the beginning of a prayer that's known as the Shema, the Shema. And uh, it's, a, it's one of the core things that makes God, God. It's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It's one of the central prayers. And the Shema begins like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's one of the central prayers in Judaism for thousands of years all the way to this very day. If you go to Israel today, it's the prayers that are on the lips of the Jews as they speak. When the first thing they say when they get up in the morning, they say, they say the Shema. The last thing they want to say before they, they go to sleep is the Shema. When they have a baby born, they lift that baby up, and that father will, will whisper the Shema into their ear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, thy God, the Lord is one. One. Ehad the word ehad and it's central throughout the scriptures for talking about what god is like and so this word is really really big with the the biblical writers affirming that god is one the oneness of god the ehadness if i could make up that word of god it's god at unity with himself it's central to who he is and when we clue into this ehad of god this oneness then we understand a little more how when, when this Ahad-like God, I mean, think, what do we, we, we understand God to be a trinity, right? The three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it's not like there are three gods up there and they're just standing around, right? And they're like, y'all want to have a ping pong tournament today? What do y'all want to do? You know, it's, it, they're one. It's one. It's one. They're three in one. And if you have a hard time wrapping your mind around it, that's okay. That's a good sign. It means God made it up and we didn't, right? If it's hard for us to conceptualize. Um, it's a good sign. So, so, so the three in one. So even in three, he is one. And so we see why this, why, when this Ahad-like God creates a physical realm in Genesis, well, it makes sense that his intention would be that that realm, too, reflects that oneness, that unity, right? This together in one. So think for a second today about all the little things that we take for granted this morning. We find ourselves living in a physical world uh, that is just mind-boggling in its complexity, and yet its interdependentness. Right, there are so many moving parts going on to this world. We can't even we can't even wrap our minds around it. It takes it takes thousands of disciplines of science just to try to address all the things that are happening right now in creation that are all happening seemingly independent, but they're actually interdependent. They they all depend on each other. Um, And the more we're learning from like environmental experts and things like that, that is that everything is connected. Everything around us connected. We live on this planet. That, well, we thought this planet was just floating out in space, but it turns out it's tethered to this flaming star out in space, right? And, and the planet itself has a pull on the star. It, it makes the star wobble as it's going around, as the earth goes around the sun. So, and then there's life on earth. We have billions and billions of different organisms and species all working together, all working with each other, working as one. You have the sea and the soil and the atmosphere and the polar caps, and you hear a lot about that in the news, right? And they're all in this sort of precarious but beautiful balance that keeps everything humming along on earth. This ehad, this system going on. Maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself today, I'm an independent person, right? I'm, I'm my own person. I'm my own man. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. Are you breathing oxygen? Your oxygen's pretty important, right? It's sort of essential to continue existing and you know not die. So you, if you're breathing oxygen, who do we have to thank for oxygen? Plants, the lowly plant, is helping you breathe, right? So how did how do plants make oxygen? Photosynthesis. What's going on there? Sunlight, soil. How does the how does the rain? How does it make rain? Well, the sun's pulling the water vapor, right? It's it's all working together. That it's we're back to that flaming orb in the sky all of these systems working together. And, and so you look at these things, and, and you might think, well, there's a plant, and there's me, and there's a horse. But actually, we're, we're all sitting here breathing right now because of this amazing convergence of of all of these environmental resources that are working together in ways that we can't even see it happening, but it's happening. In perfect balance, in perfect harmony, acting for a common purpose, they act as one. And it's not by accident that our our world is like this. Because who created our world? God. The God who is Ehad. That God, when he creates a world... It looks like this. The God who is one creates a physical realm that reflects that same oneness, this this balance, this unity, this echadness. So what happens when we turn on the news? Syria, Afghanistan, right? Detroit. Charleston. Louisiana. Things happening all over the place. We see, we see a lot of, not a lot of oneness, going on in the human world, do we? There's this feeling that we get that unity is, it's kind of how it's supposed to work. You know, even the pagans like, are going like, can't we get along? The pagans have this idea in their mind, in, in their heart. It seems like we ought to be able to get along. It's there's this feeling that that's how it's supposed to work. But there's something within us that works against this, isn't there? Right? We're created in this world of Ehad, but there's something in us that works against us. We're always at each other's throats. Different economic classes, different nations are at each other's throats, different people with different religious differences, races, personality differences. It, it's almost like the perfect creation God made somehow got cursed along the way, right? You, you might say that. So there's this breakdown between this oneness that's built into the physical realm. And then the way that human beings actually treat each other. So there's a major breakdown between there. There's something wrong, and everybody knows it. It's like we're split, right? Um, we speak today. We use terms like the breakdown of the family. You know, you've heard that term, or the erosion of culture. These terms are in our they're in our lexicon. The splitting of the family unit. And all the while, we were created to be one with each other. To be one with our God, one with our creation, and one with ourselves. We're created to be one. ehad Let's look at Genesis 2. Genesis 2. God creates all the stuff, and then he creates a man, and then, let's see, in verse 21 it says, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and he dipped it in a barbecue sauce. And then he, I'm just kidding. I was seeing if you are awake. And then he, he closed the place with the flesh, and then the Lord made a, man, a woman from the rib that he took out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why... A man leaves his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, here's where it gets cool. This word right here, for one is a had. ahad. They will become a had flesh. So God is one. He's always been, he's one. And then he creates this physical realm that works in harmony as one, and that's just the way he rolls. That's how it goes. And then Genesis says the man and the woman would come together, and the idea is that they would be a had, as the Godhead is a had. That he would be like, hey, guys, man, woman, I know you you seem like you're, you feel like you're two different people. Guess what? I'm going I'm to do something really cool. I'm going to let you reflect me, Right? And they become ehad, as, he, as God is one. And so the marriage of the, the husband and the wife coming together, this union is a reflection of, of the core nature of God who created them. It's what one writer calls the mingling of souls. The mingling of souls. Two people giving all of themselves to each other to, be, to, to form something that's, that's greater than they were before, than they were alone. Right? And understand, sex is just a part of it. Sex is, just really, sex is really just the uh, culmination of this profound ahadness taking place, right? It's just the culmination. That's why sex outside of marriage is such a huge exercise in missing the point, right? Because sex is just the culmination of the ahadness of marriage, of this reflection of who God is. It's missing the point. It, sex outside of marriage is like, it's like watering the desert and expecting something to grow. Right? There's no life there. You're just watering sand. L- look at the next verse. He says in verse 25, And they were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were both naked here. And here, the writer is not just thinking of details to tell you right? He's not just referring to a birthday suit naked here. It, it, there's this larger sense. There's, there's more going on here. The larger sense is that they have given themselves totally to each other. They've held nothing back, flaws and all, right? And they were safe with each other. They had. And so the idea behind marriage, it isn't just like, you know, having a warm body to keep you from being lonely. It's not what it's about. And it's not just so we can propagate the earth with our genetic code. That's not the purpose of marriage. The big idea of marriage is putting something on display, namely the very core trait of God, Ichad. putting ihad on display. So, you so, see, that's what's wrong with these TV shows that, like, try to hook up this bachelor with this bachelorette or something like that. It's, it, it's trying to get people hooked up with all the wrong stuff. It's the stuff that doesn't bring a HUD, right? Maybe you're here today and you're single, right? Raise your hand. How many single people in the house? Okay, single people. Maybe you're, you're single, maybe you're dating somebody, I don't know, uh, and, and if, if you are, you might be at that stage in the relationship where you're kind of like, got all those questions going around through your head, like, what's going on here, what are we doing, where is this leading, uh, you know, what, what are we? Um, I remember having that conversation, you know, with, with Melissa when we were going out, what, wait, what are we, what's going, what's happening here, um, and you know, you have to get on the same page, but you know, something we, you should be asking, def- you definitely should be asking, if you're not already, is, is this other person ready to pursue a hardness? Are they ready for a hardness? Not, are they perfect? See, if you find somebody who's perfect, run as fast as you can, because <laughs> they're lying to you, right? They're, <laughs> yeah. But rather, is this pr- a person who's pursuing wholeness? Are they trying to reflect in their soul, you know, that those attributes that make God, God, like his harmony, his unity, his oneness? Is that, is this person reflecting that? Or does this person have something in their past that they can't talk about? Then this person is not whole. See, maybe this person went through some kind of horrible abuse, or they've, and they've locked it away, and it's splitting them. It inhibits their ability to be a whole, integrated, a hod type of person. See, God's intent is that we would be the kinds of people who are, who are being repaired, who are being restored and healed, the kinds of people being restored. What sin does is fracture and splinter. And so we have anger. When we have anger and pain, we have addiction that we're not honest about, that we're keeping locked away in a little hidden place, when I have somebody that I need to forgive, when I have junk that I can't talk about, I can't even. I can't tell. I can't tell any, my friends. I can't tell you know my spouse. I can't tell my home group. When I have that kind of junk, well, see, then if you and I are in a relationship, it, you and I, it can only go so far before the conversation shuts down, right? It's only gonna shut. It's gonna go so far because I'm not one. I'm not one. I've got these chunks of myself that are split off and hidden, and they're off-limits, places I'm not free, I'm, I'm divided. So, see, marriage is not just about getting along. It's not just about tolerating each other. For some people, that's, you know, it's survival, Let's survive another day. That's, the way it's, that's not what it's supposed to be. Marriage, when it's done right, are two people coming together and putting God on display. Imagine that. Imagine you, you married folks, imagine that. What if you and your spouse, one of your, great, one of your great callings in the earth is to come together and put God on display just in your relationship in front of other people? How many of you have you ever been to a wedding and you've sat there and you just knew those two they're going to make it something about them those kids are going to make it there's a love there's an openness and a hod going on there and the world needs more of this you ever been that's the most beautiful thing when i'm at a wedding and i think oh the world needs more of this the world needs more of this because guess what? God's intent is that marriage would not just be good for the two of you. It would not just be survivable. But that a good marriage would increase the ahodness of the world. That's God's intent. Put, that it would put the goodness of God on display. So in this broken world, we got this broken world, where you would have these two people who give themselves wholeheartedly to each other and they were naked and they felt no shame, wholeheartedly to each other, and they would show in their marriage a bit more of what God is like. That is why adultery is so unbelievably destructive. Because adultery is is a splintering, it's a fracturing of the most intimate of vows. And, And this person then can't be with this person or one with this person because they're connected with this person and that person and this person, right? And get this, sometimes adultery even involves sex. Do you get that? Sometimes, not always. Because a person can get fractured and split and emotionally caught up with someone long before there's actual sex outside of the marriage now, a couple weeks ago, we were looking at what Jesus had to say. Remember what he had to say about uh, murder? And he kind of always takes it further. He's really good. And if you go, to, if you have your Bibles, you can look at Matthew 5. He, he, he took that commandment of, about murder, and Jesus always takes things a step further. He always gets to the real heart of the matter, clarifies what's going on. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus said this. You've heard it said, it, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. All right, he's referencing this command that was 1,500 years before. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this is hardcore. And, and understand, I don't think Jesus is saying this wagging his finger at everybody. I think he's saying this with a broken heart. If you, if you have looked lustfully at another woman, you've already committed adultery. There's already fracture going on. Now, there's a lot happening here. I want to kind of look at this because this is kind of neat to me. Uh, first, in the Old Testament, little history lesson, uh, the penalty for adultery, anybody knew what that was? Death. Yeah, it was pretty quick. A penalty for adultery was death in Deuteronomy. Uh, there's three other scriptures that say similar things it says if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife then both the man who slept with her and the woman must die there's a couple of things we want to look at here number 1 notice it doesn't say if a woman is found sleeping with another woman's husband that they both must die and there's a reason for this what constituted adultery in the uh, it got a little tricky in the old testament Here's where men got off a little easier than women. If a married woman had sexual relations with anybody on the planet who was not her husband, it was adultery, and they were both put to death. But a married man in the Old Testament could technically have sexual relations with someone other than his wife, as long as that other woman wasn't married. Is that fair? No. <laughs> just the way it was, just the way it was. 1,500 years later, we get to Jesus, and times have changed, and Jesus has a little thing, a few things to say about this too. 1,500 years later, a couple things have happened. Number one, what we see in Jewish culture, because of the influx of the Roman Empire is now there, in Jewish culture, the Jewish law has relaxed a bit when it came to the death penalty for adultery, because the Romans actually wouldn't let the Jews just be, put each other to death in the streets. So, for, for now, now, in their culture, uh, unfaithfulness was given as a reason for divorce. So, now we hear more talk about divorce, because if your wife cheated on you, you can't drag her out in the street and stone her anymore. You just divorced her. And, in fact, you were supposed to divorce her. It really wasn't uh, optional, it was considered your duty to, and the proper thing, to divorce your wife if she, if she cheated on you. Which is why in the, in the story about uh, when Jesus was, before Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph, when he thought, when he realized she was pregnant, when Joseph saw Mary was pregnant, he sought to put her away quietly. He was going to divorce her because that was the right thing you were supposed to do. He thought that was the right thing to do. Um, now, some other things, though, are changing. While the penalty is lighter... You, you didn't have to stone them, although it was done every once in a while just as a way to kind of like uh, make an example of somebody. You remember the story where they, were, they brought the woman out, they were going to stone her, and Jesus defended her? Remember? That's the adulteress. Anyway, um, while the penalty was lighter, Jesus actually says what constitutes adultery uh, in the eyes of God is even greater now. So Jesus kicks it up. You don't just have to follow through and sleep with someone. You just look lustfully, and Jesus says you're guilty of adultery. Not only that, but look who he's talking to now. Men, in verse 28, he says men. Men, he's saying, guys, you don't get to play by a different set of rules anymore than women. If you look lustfully at any woman, not just a married woman, any woman, that's not your wife, lustfully, it's adultery. Um. And then some things that Paul said later on, by the way, ladies, this is going to go for you too. You're not off the hook either. Um, Paul makes it clear that this this goes for all of us. So now why does God hate adultery so much? Why does God hate adultery so much? Because adultery doesn't contribute to the, the healing and the restoring of the world, does it? No, adultery contributes to the splintering, the fracturing of the world. Adultery makes the world a worse place to live. It's it's why it's such a lie when someone says, well, nobody's getting hurt. I'm doing my little thing over here with this person. Nobody knows about it, so no harm, no foul, right? Or maybe I got a porn addiction going on and nobody knows about it, so it's not hurting anybody. No harm, no foul. Jesus says, There is no slippery slope when it comes from from lust to adultery. There's no slippery slope from lust to adultery. Once you're in lust, you're already guilty. You're already fractured. There's already fracture going on. Adultery is like an assault on the core fabric of the universe. It's, It's in direct contradiction to the very nature of God. Because God created us to be one. And when we're two and three and four, we're we're fractured, we're split, we're less unified, we're less complete than ever. Adultery makes us less human. It fractures us. And God is trying to show us how to be human again. Just like what he was trying to show the Israelites how to be human again, how to be free people again. And here's the good news. God wants you free. He wants you free. He wants you free. He wants you forgiven. He wants you free from your past, full of life. He wants you dynamic. He wants you joyful. And here's the thing. In Jesus, there's no condemnation, right? So if you're somebody and you're like, man, I, I, I really screwed up in my past. I Maybe you committed adultery in your past. Well, well, guess what? I mean, according to the Scripture here, just about everybody in this room has. Okay? Can we be honest? According to Jesus' words, has anyone ever lusted? Nobody lusted. Wow! This is one holy church. In Jesus, there's no condemnation. Right? None. Nada. No condemnation no condemnation. In Jesus, there's no voices in your head saying that you're worthless because there is no condemnation, right? That voice that tells you to go home and throw up what you ate, that's not Jesus. That's dead. God says, nope, you're free. You're free from that. There's no condemnation. Those thoughts that everybody else in this room has it all together, except for me, because I've got that thing nobody knows about, nope, God said, that's not me. There's no condemnation. No condemnation. That's from hell. And you stop playing with those thoughts. Because it's from hell. Right? Because Jesus, in Jesus there's no condemnation. But there is conviction. Now we get into a whole different thing. There is conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in some of you. And that's a beautiful thing. Don't be afraid of it. See, God loves you exactly the way you are, but He loves you way too much to keep you that way. He loves you just like you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. So there is conviction. Feeling convicted inside isn't isn't God condemning you, it's actually God loving you. Condemnation tells you you're a worm, you're worthless. Conviction says, I created you for so much more. So much more. And I've got such a better future in store for you than what you're living right now. That's conviction. We might say it this way. Fundamental to being a Christian is is being eternally under construction. Right? Eternally under construction. And that's okay. So, in in just the few minutes we have left here... I want to I give you some kind of practical pastoral advice here. Can I be, can I be pastory for, <laughs> for a few minutes here? I want to give you three steps to help adultery-proof your marriage. Okay? Uh, this, you, you're still thinking, choosing human being. You can still do anything you want. This isn't going to guarantee you'll never uh, make a mistake. But these are three steps to, uh, toward adultery-proofing your marriage. singles you're not out of this, because I'm gonna start with you, okay? Number one, starts with you. you ready? Here we go. Number one, singles. Don't practice cheating. Don't practice. here's what I mean by that. Let me see your hands again. How many of you are single? Okay we got singles in the room throw like kind like this right now. <laughs> I don't really want to <laughs> admit that. Yeah. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. It's cool to be single. Um, listen. We live in a culture right now that has uh, completely normalized premarital sex. You know what I mean? It's totally normalized. Would everyone agree? If you turn on the television, all the fun TV shows, every little TV show there is, premarital sex is totally normalized. There's nothing taboo about it, right? There's not any main characters that I know of who are like children to decide should I save myself for marriage, or go ahead and have sex? No, I don't think that conversation's still happening on TV anywhere, you know. Except, I don't know. I, I don't even know. So, so it's totally normalized. That's if you walk out of these doors, you would you hear silence about abstinence or waiting for marriage. Silence. It's it's like a, It's not even. It doesn't exist. Even Christians, you know. I mean, Christians will we watch. Shows with like premarital sex in there, and it sort of kind of goes over past our heads. You know, sometimes we don't even see it anymore. I mean, I know Christians watch television with like rape on television, and it's just like meh. I mean, I'm not judging you, but that's just a fact, right? Some people are, yeah, okay, it's real quiet. I wish I had a funny picture to show. Mel told me, this is not going to be a very fun sermon, um, so like every time you say something uncomfortable, you should like put a picture of Julia Child's cooking or something up there, just, <laughs> just to lighten the mood, so picture that, Mr. Bean or somebody. Um, so let me say this, because of that, we live in this culture, uh, don't believe the lie, it is a lie, don't believe the lie that premarital sex is harmless, it's no big deal, uh, you're being told this probably by people, maybe they're, they don't mean to be, you know, evil or wicked or something like that, they, maybe they don't know any better, but they're not telling you God's best, right? Hollywood's not opening up the Bible and saying, how can we help America become God's best, right? Obviously, Uh, So so don't be like, well, the world acts like it's normal. That's fine. Yes, the world acts like it's normal, but it's not God's best. Premarital sex is incompatible with being a disciple of Jesus. I know I'm being really old-fashioned right now and, like, super judgmentally. It's incompatible with being a disciple of Jesus, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. He's called you in, in Romans 12 to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, to worship God with your body, to wait until marriage, before having sex. I heard one pastor put it this way, and it was really good. He said fornicating, which is just a super religious word of saying sex before marriage. Fornicating is an internship for adultery. Fornicating is an internship for adultery. So some of you might be thinking, no, I'm just having a little fun until I get married. I mean, when I get married, I'll stop, you know. But no, no, no. See, you're practicing to cheat. You don't think you are. But you're practicing to cheat. Because if you're sleeping with multiple people now, that does nothing to prepare you for faithfulness with one person. Sleeping with multiple people doesn't prepare you for faithfulness. That's why the pattern of the Bible, get this, the pattern of the here's your tweetable moment. The pattern of the Bible is chastity before marriage, then fidelity in marriage. That's the pattern of the Bible. It's just over and over and over and over. You can't, you know, you can't get around it. Chastity before marriage, fidelity in marriage. They go together. Okay, here we go. Married folks. Number two. Married folks, never say never me. Never say never me. I want everybody to say this. Never say never me. Okay. The easiest way to fall, the easiest way to find yourself in some horrible position that you'll regret forever is to say, I can never cheat because I'm just not made that way and I'm just so awesome. I can never cheat, so I don't need to be careful. Rarely, rarely has anybody ever failed morally and got up that morning with the intention to do so, right? Never say never me. Remember, sexual sin starts with what? Your eyes. In Job 31, you can write it down, it says... He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman lustfully. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on upon a woman lustfully. So adultery doesn't start in the hotel room, right? When you're, you know, got your key out and you're opening the motel door, that's not where adultery starts. Adultery starts right here. It starts with what you look at. It starts with who you're paying attention to at work, right? Who you're enticed by, what you're clicking through. That's where adultery starts. You want to guard your heart, you start by guarding your eyes. Okay, number three. This is three last one. Let me bring this to a close. This, this third step is really uh, toward adultery-proofing our marriages. This one is a challenge to all of us, okay, whether married or single, and that is fight to protect the marriage bond. Fight to protect the marriage bond. Fight to protect marriage. If we're, if we're married, we fight for it, Okay? If we're single here today, we support it with everything we got. We're going to fight together to protect it. And here's what I mean. If you're married and you're thinking to yourself, man, honestly, it seems like the honeymoon has been over a long time. Anybody been married a few years? I want to tell you something. Whatever is pulling you away from your spouse... Whatever that emotional craving is. And it's okay. You can sit there and act like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just listen. This is for your neighbor. (laughs) That whatever that, that feeling, that emotional craving, that curiosity, whatever that is, gather up that energy and bring it back into the relationship. Okay? Let's be real here. We know... Everyone knows, over time, marriage is a beautiful thing, and it's a lot of work, right? Marriage is a lot of work. Just like anything beautiful and amazing is going to be a lot of work. And because of that, see, flirting with her over here is not a lot of work. I didn't take any work at all, did it? Right? It's just kind of playful fun. So when you're, like, putting all this work, that seems like kind of a nice alternative, just flirting, and we'll be more attracted to doing that than the work of marriage, and so we flirt a little bit, and maybe it even kind of energizes you a little bit, you know, kind of hmm, makes me feel kind of good about myself, like, and, and, but see, as you pour energy in that direction, what's happening, you're stealing it out of your marriage, and now you're feeling even more distance from, distant from your spouse, because we've poured this energy over here where it's not a lot of work. And then what happens? We start to play the victim. Because after throwing all this sexualized energy over here, whether you're having a full-blown affair yet or not, you're just, it might just all be up here, right? The person might not even know it's happening, that other person. But you know what's happening. Whether you're having a full-blown affair or not, you're throwing your sexual energies out here. You're stealing it away from your marriage, and over time, you start saying things like, you know, we just drifted apart. I just feel like, you know, I just don't feel it anymore. I just feel like we've drifted. Well, of course you have, right? Of course you have. So, so reverse the leak. It's like you got this water hose with a, someone's put a knife in it over here and siphoning the energy off. Reverse the leak every time. So do this. Every time. Tell your neighbor because it's not for you. <laughs> every time you have an impulse or to flirt or connect in some eroticized way, to, to buy a little gift for that person, to send a little flirty little text or something like that, to somebody outside your marriage, stop, gather that energy and throw it back into the center of your marriage. Throw it into the center of your marriage. Write that note. right? Send that flirty text. Buy that little gift for your spouse. And you'll be like, "Wow! what happens in your marriage. Send that energy back into your marriage. See, it's not that you've forgotten how to be romantic. It's, not, it, it's that you've got a leak somewhere, and it's siphoning off what should be directed full on into your marriage, right? That's where it should be. So you gather that romantic energy. You send it back inside your marriage. Now, I know what's going to happen this week a lot of you who haven't had any inappropriate thoughts at all—you love your spouse very much, but you're going to try to get romantic. You're going to just be like, "Baby, here's some flowers, a bunch of little gifts, and a little text," and she's going to be like, "I heard that sermon. Who you been thinking about?" Right? So, because <laughs> I will cut her. <laughs> so, um, so spouses, don't jump to conclusions. Be cool. Be supportive. What we're talking about here is an ongoing, lifelong fight here, right? This is lifelong advice here. So, whether anything's going wrong or not, it's good. Just pour it in, pour it in. You pour that energy into your marriage. And and for the rest of your life, you just keep doing that. And eventually, you're not having to, you're not struggling against something, right? (laughs) Because that's so far away. You've created so much margin of romance in your marriage. That's not even an issue, right? You're just, you're just pouring it in. Fight. For, you have to fight for marriage, my friends, okay? We have to fight for marriage because it's under assault in our country. But God has a better plan. Amen? He has a better plan. Today we're going to take communion. And uh, I can't think of a better time to do it. And when we've been talking about this, the ushers are going to come in, in just a minute. They're going to be coming down and passing out the uh, crackers and the juice. And wh- the way we do it here is they'll pass it down, and you take it. And if you'll just hold on to it, don't take it just yet. Just hold on to it, and we'll all, till we all have it together, I'll come back up here in a second. And um, we'll pray, and then we'll all take it together. And also, this is, we, we call this an open communion, Mean, simply meaning this is available for everyone who's following Jesus. You don't have to be part of Generations Church. You don't have to be a member here or something like that. You could be part of a different church or whatever. You may not go to church. If you follow Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us and and do that. But uh, I'll go ahead and take that. Thank you, sir. However, if you're here today, maybe you're feeling a long way from God. Maybe you're feeling far from Jesus and Or maybe you're here today, and you've heard this, and maybe you haven't felt like laughing a whole lot. Maybe you felt like you've made a lot of wrong choices in your life, or maybe you just made that one wrong choice in your life, or whatever it was. I want to tell you something. Welcome to the human race, okay? Welcome to the human race, and rejoice because you're exactly who Jesus came to save and to heal. You are who Jesus came for. So I'm not here to condemn you today, and and I'm here to let you know of some good news, all of us. There's good news, and that the good news is that there's repentance, there's healing when you come clean before God, you step into his way of doing things, and I have seen so many couples, I'll tell you, I've seen couples go through the hardest thing you can imagine, and, and they make it because Jesus heals, right? It doesn't have to... And in total destruction. Jesus heals. He can do miracles. And so you can come to God and step into his way of doing things, his way of peace and echad. There's a thing the scripture calls shalom, and it means nothing missing, nothing broken. It's the, it's, it's the only kind of peace there is in the world, and that can be yours. No matter what you've done in the past, it can be yours. It can all be forgiven in, in, in a blink of an eye if you just ask him the same God who flung those stars in the sky, who put our earth in the perfect orbit around the sun, he created life to exist. That same God can handle you, and he can handle me, and he can handle our junk. He can handle it. He's a big boy. He can handle it. His arms are big. They're open wide. And so whatever it is, whatever it is you've done, you haven't outrun his, his reach. And so I would just encourage you, Before we take communion today, if that's you, you feel maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart, or maybe you just feel far from God, or maybe you're just tired of running, or maybe you're tired of those hidden places, the fractured places. You're ready to be whole again. Just pray to him right there where you're sitting. Just ask him right now. Ask God to wipe away your past, make everything new, say dear lord i i love you and i'm tired of running and i'm ready for a new start and i believe that jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose again and i thank you for making everything new and if you pray that he will forgive you and he will give you a brand new start